Hi, welcome to Eight Words or Less. I'm Sammy. This is the podcast that distills leadership and management books into, surprise, surprise, eight words or less. And I'm James. Every episode, we'll be taking a book that has inspired us in some way, and we'll be trying to distill the key themes and elements of that book into the central message, which exactly as Sammy says, has to be delivered in eight words or less. And we'll be supporting that central message with three arguments, or what Sammy likes to call petals, which are taken both from the book, but reinforced from our experiences and from what we see in the world around us. This week, we're going to be looking at a book called Who Do We Choose to Be? by Margaret Wheatley. Margaret, who calls herself Meg, actually is a fascinating lady. She's worked in a number of countries uh, doing these incredible jobs across India, Senegal, Zimbabwe, South Africa and Europe. And uh, perhaps more impressively, she's got 21 grandchildren, which uh, must be pretty time consuming. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. She's this very passionate, very mission led woman. She calls herself a warrior of the human spirit. And this passion comes across very much in her writing. But at the same time, the book's very structured. Every chapter follows the same four core pillars. She talks about what science teaches. She says we need to face reality. She talks about claiming leadership and then realizing sanity. And these four elements coming through in every chapter. She then takes us through different parts of the book. She talks about arrow of time, how we're entering into this challenging environment. She talks about the impact that leaders can have the change in technology, the importance of identity, and finishes the book by what we can actually do as a leader in the time that we've got and in this environment that she believes we're in. So fascinating book. Sammy, what was your central message? So the central message is we must choose our leadership for this time. Eight words. We must choose our leadership for this time. And that's the central message. The one key thing that I'm going to try and use a three-petaled flower, give me three arguments to try and support that central message. So, and your first petal? You've already mentioned it. The first petal is the arrow of time concept. So Margaret, she looks at different civilizations and she talks about the decline of civilizations across just 10 generations. And within that, Margaret argues that we are in the sixth and final stage, which is called the age of decadence. And here she talks about wealth and power have led to petty and negative behaviors. We would experience narcissism, consumerism, materialism, fanaticism, and high levels of frivolity. And she also talks about the celebrity culture. So we would be worshiping actors, athletes, singers, and just loads of distractions. So this arrow of time concept is everything has a beginning, middle, and end. And she's arguing that we are towards the end of something. As things deteriorate, relationships disintegrate into distrust, self-protection, and opposition. And that's my first petal, because all I have to do is look at the world around me at the moment. We're amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. And that feels highly resonant that we're currently in that age of decadence where we're seeing this decay, this breakdown of society at the same time as this hero worship. And so what I'm suggesting, how that links to the central messages, there is an opportunity here. Leadership and this podcast is for leaders in business, in government, in NGOs, society, that broad definition of leadership. Uh, Leaders who are listening have an opportunity now to face into reality, if you like, press pause. And we have some choices around reconnecting with our humanity. And that's why we must choose our leadership for this time. 
And she was interesting because she, she was saying a lot of this is cyclical, right? As I was reading this, she kept on talking about how the fact that this can be observed through history again and again, that these six stages of the hour of time, you can see them in multiple civilizations across history. And I think there was elements of that that's definitely true. I do think that when she was applying that to the time we face now, it felt like she was coming from quite a negative place. I'd be interested in your take on that, uh, Sammy. And you talk about coronavirus and, and the challenges we face. I think what's so interesting about this is, yes, when you look at it with a certain lens on, some of it is reinforcing the points in this book. Just take the fact that all the toilet paper seems to be disappearing off the <laughs> shelves and people are hoarding masks that are needed by the medical staff and by nurses. But actually, you put another lens on and you see how amazing people are when they're facing sort of a crisis like this. And you look at people who are delivering food to elderly neighbors that need it. You look at just the Italians singing off their balconies, far better than the English are anyway. I think there's, <laughs> there's, there's elements of it that I look at it and I say, actually, no, I don't agree. I don't think that this is all about decadence. There is a lot of positivity out there in the world. And some of that comes to the front most when you're faced with a challenging situation. Yeah, well, let me start by saying you've not heard me sing yet. So my Ronan Keating James is is highly impressive, or so I've been told. <laughs> I have a similar but slightly different perspective regarding the negativity. I think if I was to follow her argument through, and perhaps not for this podcast, but I'm not sure I agree with that linear progression of beginning, middle and end. But perhaps Margaret would suggest that after this, we move into step one, which is the age of pioneers. I think the space Margaret was coming from was if you like, less optimistic than the space that I like to come from. I think there is some real opportunity that will come out of the situation at the moment. But she said, I remember the world before 9-11. I was hopeful we could change it, an attitude I have long since rejected as a distraction and waste of energy. We were confident that change was possible. And I am confident that change is possible. And I know it's difficult for us to see it when people are mass buying in shops. People are fighting over, as you say, toilet rolls. But that's just part of the story, as you said. The other part is we have made significant progress. And when I think about the last 20 years, even, things have moved forward. You know, I was watching the other day, I used to be on a TV program called Airline. And I was watching episode number one, which was the late 90s. And there's a guy being interviewed and openly, I couldn't believe on TV in the late 90s, he's talking about, oh, he loves pufters because he'll be able to get all the birds on board. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I think when I consider from there where we are today, we have moved forward and it's only part of a story. So I take your point. And I think still the central message, it comes back to, and we must choose our leadership for this time. What is your second petal? The second petal is that we can no longer solve global problems at large scale levels. And Margaret talks about these problems being poverty, economics, climate change, and violence. My sense around that is, of course, you need policymakers and government to be able to enact wide scale change or to bring important people together who might not collaborate otherwise. And when I think about, for example, the environment, the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, I notice that in conversation with people, there's a really high level understanding, but doesn't really have a depth of the 169 sub-goals that go and support it. 
So there's no judgment here. It's just that when we have these far-reaching, these large-scale initiatives, I think it almost removes some of our accountability as leaders towards making what I call the one-degree shift. Like the Titanic, if you have the iceberg in front, had the Titanic moved one degree a couple of moments earlier, then it would have sailed safely by. And at the beginning of this year, I traveled to Madagascar, and it was only when I went to that magical island that I started to realize that what's happening in the global policy decision-making, it doesn't really apply on the ground. On the ground, you have the local community who's protecting the soil degradation, who's protecting the forest from being uh, knocked down, from protecting the animals. You know, I saw this one bat-tailed dwarf lemur, not the best name, I guess, for an animal, but <laughs> true enough. And they're studying this creature that hibernates for seven months a year because it could hold the secret for humanity to have suspended animation so that we can travel to other planets. And that animal could go extinct. And it's people on the ground, the local Malagasy people who are doing the protection. And we would be walking around the forest and we would see a plant which could hold the secret to the next cancer cure. And it's the people on the ground who are protecting it. The reason I chose this as the second petal or supporting argument is I think that, of course, we need the global solutions. We do need government to be able to enact some of the far-reaching policies. But leadership for me is about what can I do within my sphere of influence? What is the next best step or the next least bad step given the crisis outside? And that's why we must choose our leadership for this time. Well, I think, uh, Sammy, you deserve a prize. There are not many podcasts that make the link between fat-tailed lemurs and Star Trek. So I think uh, there's got to be a prize in there. Look, I, I agree. I, and I think at its best, there were elements of this book that were almost a call to action. Because I think sometimes the idea around global solutions, I work in a very global organization. And sometimes what you observe is that it becomes a call to inaction. Because people mm. will default to saying, well, that's global policy. There's nothing we can change about that. You know, our group said we need to do this. And so we've got to do this. And it's almost used as a crutch to inaction and to not step up and take leadership. Margaret walked through some of her examples. There was a lot there that was trying to say the way I took it was not that there isn't a very important role for policy to be made at a global level or if we talk at an organization at a group level but that, that can only take you so far. And it's, it's leaders on the ground facing the reality that have to actually step up and take accountability for their actions, take ownership mm. and, and drive through and execute. And actually, interestingly, when we, we look at coronavirus again and COVID, it relies literally at an individual level, people being responsible, following guidance and social distancing or whatever the other advices that government's taking. So it's quite interesting because you have that important policy being set at a global and national level, but it relies on a community level, on an individual level, in taking ownership and in many ways leadership to make that a reality. Yeah. And I'm assuming that the strategy decks that you worked on towards the end of last year and the annual operating plan, et cetera, I'm expecting that much of that is gone as a senior leader within the organization. So attention, and correct me if I'm wrong, James, but I'm sure there was a lot of attention on nailing the 2020 strategy, for example. But how much of that is actually going to be relevant, given how volatile and certain, complex and ambiguous our world seems to be? In any organization, everyone's yeah. having to pivot and focus on what's important, which is the health and well-being of your employees, you know, providing for and looking after your customers. 
and recognizing that all businesses are embedded within the communities that they're in and what can that business do to support those communities. And those should be the priorities of any organization and any leader at this time. And that's why we must choose our leadership for this time. So your third and final petal. The third and final petal is about this concept that Margaret describes of the islands of sanity. And she asks, is it possible to create protection from the wild irrationality that is raging about us? There are certain leaders who are going to choose to stand up and preserve the values and behaviors from an earlier era, if we go back to the six different eras that we spoke about in Petal One. I mean, to take your point, there is some negativity there. So knowing that they cannot prevent the devastation from unraveling. If we reframe that to knowing that the situation out there is extremely tough, and given that, there is still a space the islands of sanity where leaders can go to and they can keep living their values. They can keep doing something for their local community. They can still check their individual behavior because they know it very quickly creates new norms. And that's what's going to shift the environment over time. And indeed, you know, I've been doing culture change for many, many years. And it was after a few years of speaking about culture change and working in very complex global organizations to embed meaningful values and to evolve the organizational culture linked back to purpose. But I started to realize that culture change, transformation, it doesn't really exist. What exists are leaders who are choiceful. I'm not making that word up, I promise. They are choiceful and call it the islands of sanity. But from that space, they make small shifts and that very quickly has an impact on teams And my realization is it is much easier to work in the space of individual behavior and then how that impacts team culture rather than like petal to the global culture or the transformation. So this Islands of Sanity concept is about, again, looking at our sphere of influence, focusing on what's important, our values, and then inviting more people to join in that same space. And some of it almost links back to what we discussed in episode one around the marginal gain, what what can be done at an individual level that then cumulatively through that organization will make a big impact. I really liked of all the elements, all of the parts of this book, the concept of islands of sanity really landed with me. There was a wonderful quote in there from Teddy Roosevelt, which says, do what you can with what you have where you are. And Mm. I mean, I just think that's an amazing quote for, for the situation we're in again. Because Margaret talks about wildly disruptive seas, and you mentioned that earlier. It is deeply depressing to watch the news at the moment, and you can be left with this feeling of helplessness. And that's why I I like that quote, because whilst obviously that's true for any of us, when you look at the scale of this problem, there is still, when you bring this back into your island of sanity, into your sphere of influence, and you do what you can with what you have where you are, If we are all doing that, actually, there is a lot of impact that will be made. Actually, what I find interesting leading a team at a time like this is it's incredible how individuals step up when they're faced with challenging times. In our business, we have teams that are facing customers. And obviously, naturally, they're nervous. They're nervous for themselves because during this time, there's obviously a higher risk when you're facing large volumes of customers. 
And yet they're coming in because they know how important it is the service that has been provided to those customers and to make sure that society continues, that the communities can continue to function. And, and you see that in every organization as people working in supermarkets. Most importantly, those people working in healthcare, where the courage is just phenomenal. And I think in all of those spaces, they're creating islands of sanity wherein they can lead, where they can actually make an impact and make a difference. I did like that element of the book the most. So I'm not going to lie, some of the other parts of the book that I struggled with, but I think that's true of any book that we read. But yeah, of that course. really resonated, I thought, is very relevant for what we're seeing in the world around us at the moment. Yeah, I love what you say, James, about people who work in supermarkets, people who work in healthcare or social work. You know, many of the jobs that we a couple of months ago considered, inverted commas, low skilled, we're realizing they're societal, they're infrastructural. And it gives me great joy to see the people as I go walking, we're self-isolating, but I'm currently speaking to you from Dubai and I'll be walking around the community and see people with a bag of cat kibble biscuits. And the one step is to look after the animals in our community. I spoke to my mum earlier today She's in the United Kingdom at the moment. She's over 75 and she has an autoimmune disease, so she's very vulnerable. And it just gladdened my heart to hear that there are leaders in the community who are taking people's requests, if you like, off Facebook or social media, and they're dropping things outside the door. People are coming together. As you say, they're stepping up. And leadership is no longer being part of a C-suite of the organization. Leadership, we're beginning to learn, is the person who goes in the face of adversity and makes some choices. And Margaret describes that as the islands of sanity. So that's why we must choose our leadership for this time. That is my central message. Fantastic. Now, I have to remember, and I think this one's, you've made this one easy for me. I, I think you've definitely landed your central message more than eight times. Is that the magic number, Sammy? I can't remember. I tried to do more than 10, but anyway, let's see. I think your central message was, actually, can I remember it quite easy? I think your central message was, we must choose to be the leader for this time. Yeah, very close. We must choose our leadership for this time. So I'll give myself an eight out of 10. Could do better. B plus, maybe. As I reflect, I don't think mine was even very grammatically correct. So I, I think that's more <laughs> me than on you. But great. Thank you, Sammy. A fantastic central message. And thank you, obviously, to Margaret Wheatley, another very interesting book, Who Do We Choose to Be? And thank you to everyone who listened. Please, as always, uh, let us know what you thought. Uh, leave any ideas as to what central message you took in the comments and any recommendations of other books that you would like us to look at. The next episode, we'll be looking at a book called The Day After Tomorrow by Peter Hinson, and we hope you can join us then. Bye for now.